At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 503rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who's working through starting her own farm. We're talking with returning guest Tiffany Panichone about her basil project. Tiff is a Phoenix native with a gypsy soul. Her self-healing journey has sailed her around the world and right back home to her roots. With a strong craving and an inner calling to go deep within herself and simultaneously the dirt, she is now listening, learning, and discovering and planning to cultivate the gifts of the Sonoran Desert. After all, she wonders, is it really worth doing the hard work if it isn't your heart's work? That was a great quote, Tiff. And we got to meet you in episode 483 back in October talking about your new farm. Welcome back. Are you ready to rock? Oh, you know it, Greg. Excellent. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening with you since we chatted last? So much has happened since we chatted last, starting with the picking up the plugs from oh, yes. True Garden. You got and 450 plugs? Yeah, I think I got 500. 500. So what's a plug look like? Tell people, tell everybody what a plug looks like. A plug looks like a like an inch of, it's almost like a square inch, but it's more of like cylindrical inch of soil or peat moss or whatever it actually is that's mm-hmm. in these little like wrapped biodegradable, like almost like a mesh type of like bag. Yep. And then there's a bunch of little seedlings popping out the center. So they were like plants. They were like two to three inches tall, right? They, they were like, not even, they were like an inch tall. They were tiny. Wow. Yeah. So I was expecting, like I went with like a big car to like pick up Uh (laughs) these plugs and then they ended up just like laying nicely in the trunk, like in these eight trays of however many in each tray that added up to 500, but they were really small and didn't take up very much space when we first picked them up in the beginning. So that was fun and really exciting. So I did that and brought them to my house where they sat on the porch for a few days, half in shade for like the morning. We would put them out in the sun and water them and they'd hang out until noon. And then we'd bring them back in under the shade for the second half of the day. Just we talked about, and you taught me about hardening them off yep. so that they could, you know, get used to the full sun and get a little bit prepared for their new life in the garden bed. Nice. So, so those came from a greenhouse out in Mesa and uh, they sat on your back patio hardening off so that they got used to being outside. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then they went in the ground here. So why don't you give everybody a one minute overview of what you're doing in my front yard, just to get people up to speed. You can go, y'all can go back to episode 483 and hear the whole story, but here's a one minute overview. One minute overview. Greg has a 500 square foot L shaped, beautiful garden bed in his front yard at the urban farm. And I weeded it and prepped it. We held a drip tape class to set up the watering system and prepared it essentially for these basil plugs that we planted. And so we have 500 square feet of a few different varieties of basil growing now so that we can try to plug into our local food economy and make something happen. This is just the first herb that I'm experimenting with, but I plan to grow many more in the future. So I'm brand new at this whole process and learning every step of the way. So, And for those, for those of you that don't know how to grow in Phoenix or haven't experienced growing in the low desert, we actually grow basil and those kinds of things in the winter here because they just cook in the summer. So that's why we've started later in the year. I guess in retrospect, we could have gotten them in two to four weeks earlier, but you were out of town, I think, right? Yes. I was gone for a month at Earthship Academy, which was an incredible experience that I recommend to anyone interested in really living off grid or becoming like more in charge of their own life. Earthship and permaculture are my like two favorite concepts. So I've just been trying to learn as much and do as much as I can in the direction of those two things. So nice. yeah, I was at Earthship for a month, which is why I didn't put the basil in the ground any earlier than yeah. I did, which was like the first week of October, they ended up going in the ground. So Earthship, tell, tell everybody just quickly, because you brought it up, what is an Earthship and what's Earthship Academy? That sounds interesting. It's so interesting. So Earthship is a sustainable, imagine an, a spaceship, right? It's an autonomous structure, I mm-hmm. guess, in space floating around that sustains itself fully. So take that concept and then bring it back down here on Earth. So what an Earthship does is it self-sustaining and it not only self-sustaining, but it's providing humans with like these six needs that are the basic needs. So the need for shelter, stable temperature. So it heats and cools itself through like convection. It supplies its own power via solar panels or hydroelectric, whatever system you can set up in yours. They grow their own food. They treat their own waste. And they provide a lot of happiness <laughs> because wow. in an earthship, they you're living such an intentional life. And you're what Mike Reynolds, the, the father of earthship, says is that you're experiencing the phenomena of the earth and using it for your sustenance. And that's what we, re- we really are here, I think, on planet Earth as humans to be doing. So going back to a concept like this, it's like, it feels like you're coming home. It's like, this is how life is supposed to be lived. This is what feels right and what feels good. So like, if anyone feels lost in the way that (laughs) the world might be working around them, like just Google Earthship, like you will get so inspired. Oh, they're also, this is another concept I forgot. They're built out of recycled materials, a lot of the, right. So they manage their own trash, which is, of, of course, another like a waste management system is a huge thing that in our society that we need, obviously, because we 
have become accustomed to creating so much waste. So they use old tires. They call them radially reinforced rammed earth bricks, which are basically old tires that are pounded with dirt to make like a giant brick that then wow. makes your wall. And then they use cans and bottles and it's it's beautiful. And it was such a great experience. We spent like half the time in the academy in the classroom learning about the systems and how to set up a solar system and how to set up a gray water system and how the whole thing works, like all the theory behind it. And then we would go out into the field on the job site for about four hours a day. Just, yeah, pounding tires. Uh, nice. <laughs> laying bottle walls or can walls or doing whatever needed to be done like on different builds that they had happening in Taos at the greater world community. Excellent. How do we get a hold of them? Earthship Biotexture. I think it's like Earthship. Literally just Google Earthship. <laughs> I don't know the exact website, but yeah, it's all right. it's all so good. much will come up. That's all good. So I want to, I just want to get everybody else up to speed. I am coaching Tiffany through the process of growing her food. In about 20 years ago, while I was at Arizona State University getting my two degrees, I actually grew food in my front and backyard and took it to farmers markets and restaurants. And since then, the the gardens have just become a place for me to grow food for Heidi and I and my family. And Tiffany has taken on figuring out how to start a farm and grow her own food here in the desert. And uh, she came along about six months ago and she and I came to an agreement and I've been coaching her through that process. So if you're interested in getting some coaching on starting your farm, send me an email, greg at urbanfarm.org. And we're going to be starting a mentoring program here in the near future on that. So reach out about that if you are interested. So let's talk about some of the challenges uh, that you've run into. You you got the plants here, they got planted in the ground, and what's what's been happening since you planted them? They've been in the ground, what, almost a month now, right? Yeah, it's been mm, three three weeks. Yeah. So what's been happening since they've been in the ground? Well, they've I've just been trying not to worry about them too much, <laughs> first of all, and let them just grow and hopefully just go out into the garden to experience like the beauty of them growing. And so I can learn about the plants and learn about their energy and like be, become as much like connected with them as possible. Mm -hmm. So I try to take, you know, the stress away from myself as I enter the garden and the garden kind of just does that for you anyways, when you step into it. Oh, yes. that, it's that kind of place. I've been trying to let nature do its thing. We have the drip tape system set right now for 20 minutes, five times a week, just to get the plants started, which actually we should probably switch the watering schedule now soon that it's been a couple weeks to an hour, three times a day, three times a week. Okay. So one of the things that I from Scott, from Scott Murray, <laughs> perfect. Scott yeah. Murray is one of our mentors. Scott is mentoring both of us on this project. And one of the challenges that you've had though, is some of the plants keep getting dug up for whatever reason. And we're not quite clear who and what is doing that. Yeah. Like a handful of them that definitely have. And that's kind of been part of it. Like walk into the garden and, oh, there's a casualty here and a casualty there. But you look around and there's still like hundreds of plants. So you're like, okay, we're good. Like everyone's growing for the most part. And then there's one or two that for some reason got dug up. Maybe it's like the cats, the feral cats in the community, or maybe it's a raccoon or something. Like I have, I have no idea, but 
I guess we could like put a camera out there and really get to know what's happening if we wanted to. But I'll tell you what, one of the people that I've talked to in the past sent me an, an email about six, eight months ago and said, something's getting my broccoli. Maybe it was a year ago. Something's getting my broccoli in my garden and we're not quite clear what it is. And, you know, they sent me pictures of the damage and we kind of brainstormed and couldn't come up with anything. So they put a game camera out. Turns out it was the rats that were coming in and eating their broccoli. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. I would never even have thought the rats. Right? I didn't even realize. Yeah. 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 So I really don't know what's what's the deal with that. But for the most part, like 90 Eight percent of the plants are happy for now. We got a couple cold nights, abnormally cold nights. Yes, for this time of year last week, which was a little bit scary because they're still like so new that maybe I thought they might. And basil's like super frost sensitive, so it is kind of counterintuitive. You you would think to like plant in the winter, and they a lot of the planting calendars say to plant after the last frost, Mm -hmm. which I mean, makes sense. You mean Um, for basil? But for basil, Mm -hmm. yes. But this was like, it was just kind of all happening. And like, we got on board with the project and got really excited about it. And we were like, I think we can make this happen. And Scott was like, I think you can make this happen. So we kind of just went for it. And it is like my first time. So of course, it's a learning experience. But like you said, maybe if we would have planted like a month sooner, they would have been more mature at this stage and then would have been more resistant to frost and things, but we didn't quite get that cold. It was like in the mid forties for our lows for a couple of nights there, which was a little bit scary. I showed up in the garden and I think one or two plants might have had some like frost damage, but for the most part they were doing good. But yeah, they, they've just been chugging along. They're like less, they're less than six inches tall now, but Mm -hmm still waiting for them to to really take off before when they get about a foot tall we're going to do our first trimming of the tops nice you've been treating them with something every week what what's that about yes once a week we've been spraying them with an organic like natural foliar fertilizer and something that keeps the caterpillars away because apparently there's a specific caterpillar. I don't remember. Do you remember which kind of caterpillar it is? I don't, but I thought it was curious that Scott told us, he said the caterpillar, these uh, moths, I think they're the moths. He said the moths will come for miles when they smell basil and lay it on the basil. So one of the coaching pieces that he gave us was that we start with the BT, that's Bacillus thuringiensis now. That's a naturally occurring bacteria that that kills caterpillars. He said uh, you're basically we're building up an immunity uh, against the caterpillars on the basil. So I thought that was curious. Yeah, super curious, very interesting. So that's what we've been doing once a week, going around spraying and it's it's really quick and simple. Each plant just gets like a little mist of the spray and and that's pretty much as much like care that they really need at this point since mm-hmm. the watering system is so like effortless and then the only other thing is we have like some grass and some weeds that mm. pop up that I'll I'll go in and just kind of like rake back or try to make sure that it doesn't start taking over the bed while the plants are still little and Maybe you'd want to tell everyone because I thought, oh, we would want some grass or some purslane to like cover the ground, but Mm -hmm. you said not in winter. So maybe you could explain that. Perfect. So 
the, the there's right now what's growing out there is purslane, and that's a nice ground cover. And then there's a rye grass that it's it, rye grass is so in, funny here. I've never planted rye grass here on the property, and I've lived here thirty years. And every year, rye grass pops up in the garden beds, which you know I don't know. Maybe the birds bring it in or. Who knows? But one of the things, especially when the plant when the basils are smaller, we want to keep the competitors away. You know, if the if the plants were a foot tall, that would be a different story. Uh, you know, the the <clears throat> weeds could grow underneath them, um, under the shade of them. But we don't. We want to make sure that the weeds, and in this case, it's purslane uh, lambs quarters, which is a taller one. Lambs quarters grows tall like the basil will grow and that would shade it out and then the rye grass those are the main three that are out there and i'm thinking the best way to manage them is just with like a, a handheld hoe and go in there and just cut them down i think you started doing that yesterday right yep so just managing that and making sure that the basil's not yeah like you said having any competition in the bed mm-hmm. perfect and what's your vision so let's just fast forward 90 days We've got, you know, foot-tall basil plants that you're going out and harvesting. What's your vision about what you're going to do with 500 basil plants worth of basil? Well, my vision is to start introducing myself in the community as this person who has basil growing at this time and someone that could potentially grow anything that was thought after or um, desired by the community and the community being chefs at local restaurants or, you know, distributors or little shops or markets and things. So I also have Tulsi or holy basil planted out in the garden right now. And I envision using some of that once it's harvested to try to make maybe some teas or start experimenting with different delivery systems for the herbal medicine that is Tulsi. So I just envision myself really getting to a place where it's just, there's, there's so many possibilities and it's so fun to just harvest the plant and then find different uses and different outlets for it. And basically going around the community, introducing myself really, because I feel like it's the first crop and I can't really, I want to introduce myself with something I don't want to just go and be like, hey, I have basil growing. I'll see you back in a month. Like, I want to go with my basil and be like, this is the basil I grew. Like, I'm Tiff. Like, nice to meet you. Let's build a relationship. Like, what do you need? What plants do you want? Like, can you use this basil? And finding outlets for it um, really is the biggest thing. Cool. I'm going to shift on you. And as a returning guest, what I like to do is I like to ask for a vivid childhood memory associated with food. You got one of those for me? I do. And it's really interesting how it all works out because mine has to do with basil. And it's really, yeah, like the only, besides my stepdad growing tomatoes, like in my teenage years, the only family member I can really remember growing any food was my grandma, Panachone. As you can tell on the Italian side of my family, we would go over to her house, the whole family, like dad, brother, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone would show up on Sundays to just a kitchen that was warm of the like tomato sauce 
cooking on the stove, and my gram would ask me to go out to her little garden, which really only was basil, and pick her some fresh basil to throw in to all the different dishes she was making. Mostly it would just go in a big pot of, of tomato sauce, and I would, like, help her stir it in, or I would help her, like, mush meat into meatballs and cook the different pastas and things that we would do. But, yeah, it's just really interesting that the first crop that I really have I'm being introduced to is basil because that's really the first herb that I had a relationship with as it was like just from childhood and in my family. And, and then you came to me with this idea to grow basil and it was just so, you know, one of those things that manifests and comes full circle. It was just like, how is this? Yeah. You can't even really explain those things. Sometimes it just happens so perfectly, but yeah, it's definitely that it's that homey comforting family, everyone hanging out and just being together. Yeah. I love, I love food and I love gathering around it. So it's always been a huge part of my life and I'm excited like this new relationship that I'm building with, with my food and with my herbs, especially like food as medicine and plants as whole plants as medicine is just, it's a whole new world that is opening up to me. And it's amazing just the, with a little bit of intention with your time surrounding your time out in nature and plants. Like I used to just look at plants and be like, oh, that's a wildflower. Oh, that's a weed. And now it's just like, no (laughs) way. There's so much more to it than that, you know? So, so it's really just eye opening and every day I learn something new and I'm just barely scratching the surface. So it's really exciting. Nice. So, and given we're going to be interviewing you every month or month and a half, I'm going to ask you for a new piece of advice for our listeners pretty much around starting a farm. So we'll get, you know, as you develop your farm and your ability to grow things, you'll learn things. And I want you to share advice with people about that. As you guys can all tell, the more advice, I think the better. Like that's why I've surrounded myself with a mentor like you and all of these other awesome people in this, in this community and in this world. And just making as many connections as I can. So the advice piece is like so invaluable to someone like me. And like for me to even be at the point of sharing some advice is like, wow, this is really happening. So this is exciting. But I would think I would say my advice would be that it's really, really important to take like personal responsibility for things because like I have a mentor, I have you and I have Scott and I have all of these other people who are giving me advice and I have the internet and I have all the research that I do. And it's really good to like be meticulous about your research, but ultimately it comes down to you making a decision for yourself and for your plants and for your business and for your life essentially. So it's like when something, when you do something and it was based in some advice or based on an article you read and then you go out into the garden or onto the farm or wherever you are and you put it into practice And sometimes it doesn't work out. It might be easy to get frustrated and be like, oh, but I had a mentor and they told me to do it this way. And now it's working out like this. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) You got to step back from that like trap of a cycle of a thought process and say, ultimately, like I did this, like this is my decision and it's a learning process and I have to own it. And especially when I do something that doesn't work out, like, of course I have to own it. So it's like, it's about being meticulous 
enough to get your information and to do your research, but then there's something so valuable in actually going out and doing it because like nine times out of 10, whatever it is that you research, like there's nothing that can be topped more than that personal experience. And your. I just want to be the grower that's like, that I can go to market or go to these chefs and they ask me a question about my plants and I can answer it from a place of complete like knowing because I experienced it for myself, not because I read it in a book. Like I want to know the information and then I want to put it into practice. It's science. It's like you have to, you have to do your experiments and you have to have your hypothesis and then you have to test it. And that's what all of this is to me. And it's really fun and it's a lot of personal responsibility, but I think that that's part of intentional living is taking that. So that's where I'm at right now. And I hope that could help somebody (laughs) on their journey. Yes. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks for joining us on the show again today, Tiff. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is an honor. How can our listeners get a hold of you? You can email me, Tiffany at littletiffbigworld.com, or you can find me on social media at littletiffbigworld. Awesome. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Tiff's Basil. Plus, if you would like to hear more from Tiffany, you can find our 483rd podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Heartwork Farms. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.